So uh, this past week, Tim, the worship leader, and I uh, went to a prayer meeting where it's a group of people that have been praying since 1985 for us, uh, for pastors, for churches, for Christians in the Central Valley. And this was their last week. And it wasn't for any reason other than... Now, I'm not going to say old. I'll get into that in a little bit. But they had been on earth for a really long time. And there's a way that I could tell. And all of us fall into this in one way or the other, okay? So picture way back to when you got your first cell phone, right? It might have had a cord with it. It might have had a briefcase with it. It might have had an antenna that was taller than you were. But when you got your first cell phone, if you're like me, I was born in 81. When we got our cell phone, that thing stays off during our work or school or whatever that version is for you, or else we are busted. So for me, I got my first cell phone uh, when I was in college. So those of you parents whose kids are telling you, I want a phone, just say, hey, Pastor Ken didn't get his till college. If you get yours ahead of him, you're already winning. Um, <laughs> If, if your cell phone went off in the middle of what you did during your day, would you get in trouble? Okay. So for a lot of us, uh, that means that when we got our cell phone from the very beginning, we knew that that thing is supposed to stay off because if it goes off and, and we're in the middle of class or work or, or whatever, and yeah, if it goes off and we're in the middle of one of those things, we could lose our phone. We're in big trouble. So there's a line probably around 50 where everybody below that, when they got their cell phone, that thing stays off. Like that thing doesn't go on just however we want it because if that thing goes off, then we get in trouble. So our, si our phones are always silent. If you're above 50 or for whatever reason you just missed that, yours can go off in the middle of the day and you got enough seniority, you're already in your job, it doesn't really matter. No, your boss isn't gonna come up, take your phone and say, you'll get this back in June. Like that just isn't part of your life. So this group that we were at, that had been meeting for 35 years, all of these people were in the, it doesn't matter what happens in my life, when my cell phone goes off. So it was a chorus of cell phones throughout the meeting, which is hilarious to me because since I've had my phone, if it goes off and there's somebody else talking, I'm busted. I just say goodbye to that thing. It is gone for forever. You're getting the side eye. But in this group, everybody's like, hey, now it's Mary's turn. Now it's John's turn. Just because his phones are going off everywhere. That was the second thing that stuck out to me from being in that meeting. The first thing was that any, any group of people that isn't bound by their last name where they have to be together and you have to like people. Any group of people that can be together for 35 years hasn't just learned to ignore conflict, but they've actually learned to work through it in the way that's gonna be a blessing to each other. They've learned to work through conflict. They've learned to work through disagreements. They've learned to work through difficulty so that, and this is key for us as Jesus followers, if you're here and you're not yet a Jesus follower, you're just checking this out, this is a big deal for who we are, regardless of what you think is portrayed about us in the media, okay? The way that we treat people and the way that we love people really, really matters to us. It's not a we're right, everybody else is wrong, vote this way, do that, drive this truck, buy this chicken sandwich, whatever. But the way that we treat people really matters to us. And so for this group of people that had been together for 35 years, meeting twice a week to pray for each other without people dropping off because I just don't like these people, that means that they had nailed how to love people in the middle of difficulty. Like they had nailed it. It's not a, hey, you offended me once, I'm done here for forever. But they had learned how to love people and move beyond conflict and not live in relationship regret. 
not live there, but instead push through that to find the good that is on the other side of conflict. Find the good that is on that. And so where we're at today, in a little thing that we're calling Jesus Shows Us the Way, Jesus begins to dive into this with his guys. This is his last night with his people. If you've got your Bible or your app, we're going to be in John 15. We're going to read 9 through 16. Uh, And Jesus shows us how to move past little relationship bumps so that it can be something that, for example, lasts as a prayer meeting for 35 years. And the first thing that we see in this is that God loves us with a perfect, never-ending love. He loves us with a perfect, never-ending love. And so Jesus starts out what he's saying to his guys this, in this one. He says, I have loved you even as the Father has loved me. I have loved you even as the Father has loved me. So if we're looking at the whole list of all 8 billion people in the world, like what we just sang about, up at the top of that list is probably Jesus. Jesus is God with skin on. He's God in human form who God sent into the world to pay for our sin, but also to give us a model of how people are supposed to live, how people are supposed to act, how people are supposed to treat each other. Even though people groups are nothing alike, Jesus says this is how you treat people, treat people that we know and understand in God's love. Jesus is the top of that list. And what he says to us right here is that God loves you and me the same way that God loves Jesus. That's huge. That's like ground shaking. That in the midst of all of our brokenness and all of our failures and all the ways that we do not love people, God doesn't look at us and say, you know what, man, they they disappoint me. My love for Jesus is over here. My love for them is like, it's off the table. God says, I love you the same way as as I love Jesus, the same way as I love myself. That's core to our identity here at Mountain View Sunnyside. That the way that God looks at you isn't in the midst of your failures, isn't in the midst of your list of things that you could list off where where you, you are disqualified from God's love. But instead, God loves you the way that he loves Jesus. And Jesus on the cross took the penalty for our sin and assigned us uh, the, the rewards of his righteous living the way that he lived that no one else could ever live. So instead of God looking at you and me and, and agreeing with the list of things that we can describe about how God wouldn't love us, those things have already been paid for. Those things have already been dealt with. And so God loves you and me the same way that he loves Jesus. And I think if that seems too far, putting a label on it, that God loves you and me the same way that God loves Jesus. If that seems too out of bounds, if that seems just a little bit too much of a stretch for you, then I think that means that we actually got closer to nailing God's love for us, that we understand it, that it's so big, that it's bigger than we could ever describe or bigger than we could ever uh, live up to. And so out of that, God says, go love people this way, go treat people this way. And the problem is, is that we don't. We don't, we flat out don't. Part of having a pulse means that we don't love people the way that God loves us and tells us to. And so within that, God's love protects us when we follow his commands. God's love protects us when we follow his commands. He says, this is what I want you to go do. We don't do it. And God has a protective measure for us around that, leading us into doing that. So Jesus continues, he says, remain in my love. When you obey my commands, you remain in my love just as I obey my father's commandments and I remain in his love. He's saying, when you do this, there's gonna be a blessing. And immediately that begins to sound like restriction to us. And that is 100% true. 
because protection is very restrictive. Like you get in your car to leave here and chances are you're going to put on a restriction device that is going to hold you to your seat in case of an accident. That thing is going to restrict the heck out of you so that you don't go through your windshield and get restricted by the asphalt in front of your car. It's 100% restrictive. There's a video. Do we have, cool, the TVs are working. Great, media team has a video of what protection and restriction actually look like and how those are a good thing. So let's roll tape. You know, I've seen this done a couple of times on a couple of different videos, and I'm not quite sure this is real, and I just want to see what's up. I don't know if this is real. I just want to see. I'm not sure. And then, boom, it literally blows up in the poor lady's face. It's not even a saying at that point. Oh, it just blew up in my face. No, it wasn't that bad. It blew up in her face. In her famous last words, I've seen this done, and I just want to see what's up. How many times have we said that before we begin to hurt people? How many times have we said that before we begin to do things that we immediately regret? God gives us commandments for our protection and also for the protection of the people who live around us. He says, don't gossip. He says, don't envy. He says, don't lie. And those aren't so that we live this shackled down life where we can't control anything, but he gives us those things for the sake of other people around us. That we're living in open honesty with people. We're living in forgiveness with people. We're living in a place where we actually have contentment, which allows us to love other people and not just be jealous and bitter because of what they have that we don't have. God's love protects us as we follow his commands. And as we do that, his love protects us and leads us into, our, leads us into his joy regardless of our situation. Verse 11, Jesus says, I've told you these things so that you will be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. He's talking future tense right here. And the moment that he says these things for Jesus' 12 followers, it is the lightest it's about to get for a very long time. Because right after this, Jesus is arrested. Jesus is crucified. Jesus is, is killed. And they go into immediate hiding. And Jesus isn't saying, you know what? One day when everything is made perfect again, then you're going to have joy. He says, even as everything is about to go totally dark, you're going to experience my joy in your life. You're going to experience that even through difficulty, even through darkness, there's victory in your life because my joy moves in and my joy lives through you. I think joy right now is one of the ways that us as a church can really live out the goodness of God because we don't live in a very joy-filled world right now. So we can complain about that or we can make a difference. That's a great, a great saying. You can't complain and get better at the same time. You can't make excuses or get better at the same time. So what are we going to do in our world? We're going to live filled with joy from the Holy Spirit to make a difference in our world. And that's because God's love, which is seen at the cross, calls us to radically love others. God's love seen at the cross calls us to radically love others. This is my commandment, Jesus says, verse 12. He says, love each other in the same way that I have loved you. 
Love each other in the same way that I have loved you. Once again, this is a really tall order because it's coming from Jesus saying, I want you to do everything the way that I've done it. And Jesus, who never sinned, loved us perfectly. And so he explains what that looks like. And the first thing is it's sacrifice. Verse 13, he says, there is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. Jesus is looking ahead to his crucifixion where he's going to die a death on a cross that we deserved. He's going to die a death on a cross for relationship with us. He's going to die his death on the cross in place of us. He's going to die his death on the cross because he wants to live with us and for us to live with him. And it all comes down to sacrifice. In 14, he says, you are my friends. If you do what I command, I no longer call you slaves because a master doesn't confide in his slaves. Now you're my friends since I've told you everything that the father has told me. He's giving dignity and worth to his people. And this is the type of thing that characterized the church 2000 years ago, because once upon a time, there's a group of people about our size when it very first started that decided, man, we're going to love people the way that Jesus loves us. We're going to lay down every privilege we have for our friends, for the people that are our enemies also. And once upon a time, that group of people completely changed society because everybody that society said, you are worthless, you have no use to me. And they literally left people for dead, specifically little girls, found a home in the church. Because Christians, people who realized their lives meant something to God and realized their lives meant something to the point that Jesus would trade his life for theirs, would spend their lives going out to rescue kids who were literally left for dead in the woods. And so the church, our, our Sunday morning would look like a bunch of girls who had grown up in the church because Christians were the only people who realized they had worth in society. And so it was filled with women. It was also filled with slaves. Because once again, there's a group of people who sees that if you have a pulse, you have a worth to God. And so these people found dignity and worth in people who followed Jesus that was seen nowhere else in society. But it was seen in the church because it was a place of dignity and worth. It was a place where Jesus was lifted up and that went horizontal to everyone that society looked at and said, you don't have any value. You don't even matter as a person but they mattered to Christians. They mattered to people like us because they had seen Jesus's love and they had seen the way that Jesus loved people. And then what's Jesus say? We read it. He says, now you're my friend since I have told you everything the father told me. Jesus goes verbal with the relationship with God. Now, one unique thing about where we are right now in society, especially for somebody like me, who like my philosophy on life is fire, ready, aim. Like just do it first and you'll figure it out for the next time. There's not a lot of thinking that goes into everything. Life's a lot more fun that way. There have been many points in my life where I look stupid. That's just part of being me. Now, the great thing about where we are right now is I'm gonna look stupid for anything that I do. I'm either gonna be too COVID concerned or not COVID enough concerned. We're meeting outside because that's what we're supposed to do. We're meeting outside because it's too cold and you should never do that and you should only move, move services outside. I'm gonna do things too much this way and I'm gonna do too, too things too much this way. Like it's just the reality of my life is regardless of what I do, I'm gonna look stupid. It's an amazingly freeing experience. We're gonna look stupid in our world if we continue to talk about Jesus. That's just a fact. That's a reality of life because it's intolerant, because it's exclusive, because it's it, whatever label you want to put on it. We're going to look stupid regardless of what we do. This is a moment for us to look stupid for Jesus. 
which is way better than being silent and letting our life and letting our opportunities pass us by and then face God and say, well, you know, I was concerned about looking stupid back in 220. Jesus is going to be like, yeah, well, everybody looks stupid in 2020. This is our opportunity to be a voice of joy and to be the most forgiving people that anyone sees, the most tolerant of listening and and hearing people out and then encouraging people, hey, this is actually how God has for you to live. We're going to look stupid regardless of what we do. So let's dive in and look stupid for Jesus. If that's a bad word in your house and you just said the S word 16 times, skip this part in the podcast. There we go. But this is a moment for us to live under the authority and under the blessing of the person who is the most forgiving and the most truthful and the most grace-filled out of anyone who's ever lived, and that's Jesus. He nailed grace, he nailed truth better than anyone else ever could. And he gives us the cue, he gives us the model about how to preach truth and love in the same way. And if you think, well, that means that as a church, we have to avoid the hard issues and we can't talk about hell and we can't talk about salvation and stuff like that. And Jesus talked about hell more than anyone else in the Bible. And he's the most friendly person that's ever lived. So that means that we speak the truth in love and let God work through that for his glory. And lastly, God created us with a destiny to make Jesus look good. What Jesus says next here gives us a perfect picture uh, about how to live for him regardless of our past life, regardless of what labels we think we're bringing in, regardless of what incapabilities or incapacities we think that we're bringing in here. And so Jesus says this, he says, you didn't choose me, I chose you and I appointed you to go and produce lasting fruit so that the father will give you whatever you ask for using my name. He says, you didn't choose me, I chose you. So that means right away, Jesus is looking at your life and saying, there's ownership that I have there. There's worth that that person has to me there. Anything that you buy and you bring home now matters to you because you've paid for it. God paid for us all severely, sincerely, dearly, physically in a way that he could never ever take back. There's no receipt on you and me where he can take us back and say, you know what? I want somebody else. He's in, he threw away the receipt and he is happy about it. So I chose you, I appointed you. That means that this week as we're going into relationships, going into our job, going into everything that we call Monday to Saturday, like our normal week cycle, we're going because God has chosen that for us. Appointed you to produce lasting fruit. That means that God has a plan for us that God is sending us out into our worlds to make a difference, that we're going to extend God's love through us into people's lives and through relationships right now as the rest of the world goes crazy, we're going to be the people that bring light and bring joy and bring forgiveness and bring listening ears and bring a pause and consideration before we judge. We're going to do this because this is who God set us out to so that we make Jesus look good. But what if tomorrow's terrible? What if this week is awful? Well, Jesus shows us the model for that because right after he said this, everyone he said it to left. His best friend said, I don't even know you. He was betrayed by one of his top guys. 
And so it's a model for us that the path, path to greatness, the path to living for Jesus means that we are going to go through seasons of rejection. We're going to go through seasons of difficulty and some of it is going to be inflicted on us and some of it is because we absolutely blow it. But what do we find in God? We find a God who loves us, who follows us, who cares enough for you and me to chase us down after that and say, hey, hey, I still bought you. I still chose you. I still appointed you and I'm still filling you to fulfill what I've bought you for, to fulfill the destiny that I've created for you, which is to make me look good. To do that among people who are just like you, to do that when it's easy and to do like Jesus did to make him look good around people who have nothing to do with Jesus, who don't even like us, but that's where God has sent us into the world to be lights in a dark place, to bring love and forgiveness and mercy and grace to a world that has none of it. Next week, we're going to talk about how that's going to impact uh, us as Jesus followers with the election. Perhaps you've heard that that's coming up. Uh, But today, this is how we prep our hearts. And this is how we move into this. Is that you and I are sons and daughters that God loves, that God chose, that God calls, sent into the world to make him look good. Let's stand and pray.